Welcome to Now Charleston. I'm Sam Spence. It's Wednesday, March 2nd. Now Charleston picks a handful of headlines three days a week and tells you why they're important. A handful of proposals in the legislature would ban state funds from Russian investments, and one would outlaw the sale of Russian liquor altogether, which is not as impactful as you might think. The number of opioid overdoses jumped by almost 60% in South Carolina last year. We'll dig into the numbers. A new United Nations climate change study has some interesting things to say about proposals like seawalls that are being debated in coastal cities like Charleston. And a historic downtown boxing gym is reopening after a major renovation. It's Wednesday. Charleston Wine and Food Festival kicks off today. And there are still plenty of tickets available. Those stories, starting now. A few proposals submitted in the State House this week are making at least a couple symbolic efforts to penalize Russian economic entities by banning investments or stopping sales of Russian-produced liquor. This comes as Russia continues its invasion of Ukraine. Bills filed in the Senate by Democratic leader Brad Hutto and in the House by Representative Russell Fry would ban the state treasurer from investing state retirement money into Russian-owned companies. The state treasurer manages investments of state funds to finance pensions and other retirement accounts. In the House, Fry's bill also prohibits the State Department of Commerce from offering economic development incentives to Russian companies. The state budgets more than $40 million a year for discretionary economic development incentives to lure businesses to build or expand in South Carolina. Fry has also proposed banning the sale of Russian manufactured liquor in South Carolina, a proposal that's actually been enacted in other states, including in North Carolina, where the state runs all liquor stores. Fry is a Republican state rep from the Grand Strand, who is also running against incumbent Congressman Tom Rice in the 7th District. You can see Representative Fry on stage next Saturday with Donald Trump in Florence. But, so back to Fry's proposal, the vodka is commonly associated with Russia, so this ban has to have some impact, right? Well, maybe not as much as you think. Sam, which Russian liquor brands are affected by the proposal? Glad you asked, Sam. Two brands, Russian Standard and Green Mark, are the most common Russian-made vodkas sold in the U.S., according to CNN. But less than 1% of all vodka consumed in the U.S. is Russian, according to a Distilled Spirits Council report cited by CNN. But Sam, what about some of those other vodkas? Are they Russian? What about Smirnoff? Nope. Stoli? Nope. New Amsterdam? Uh, no. A number of Democrats and Republicans have signed on with both these proposals, including several from Charleston, with two versions of the retirement investment bills. Both chambers will probably decide which will be considered, if either. But especially with the liquor sales bill, when it comes down to it, these are mostly symbolic proposals. There's not even really an enforcement clause in Fry's bill. Overdoses in South Carolina jumped 53% from 2019 to 2020, according to new data released by the State Department of Health and Environmental Control. Specifically, overdoses involving fentanyl, a synthetic opioid that's 50 to 100 times more potent than prescribed opioids, drove that increase. Fentanyl is involved in 79% of all overdose deaths. Overall, overdose deaths involving fentanyl more than doubled in 2019 to 2020, up 105%. That 53% increase in South Carolina dwarfs the estimated U.S. overdose increase, which is closer to 16% over the same time. In Charleston County, opioids accounted for 84% 
of all drug overdoses. These are big numbers, just for reference. That's 168 out of 197 total overdoses involved opioids. That said, Charleston County Coroner Bobby Joe O'Neill said last week that she even thinks those numbers are low, according to a news report from the Post and Courier taken from a policy summit at MUSC. Still, there are obstacles to bringing down these numbers. Here's Sarah Goldsby, director of the South Carolina Department of Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse Services, from a media briefing on Tuesday. And heads up, she said she's dealing with some seasonal allergies. You'll be able to hear it in her voice. And I think we are all in agreement that there is a supply side of, to this and there is a demand side to this. The reason our numbers are increasing, as Dr. Traxler said, has is largely related to illicit fentanyl, this very deadly substance. The supply of that substance into our state, into the United States, has grown so dramatically and so quickly that we've really just been inundated. Um, and so that is is certainly a contributing factor to the numbers that we're seeing and the loss that we're experiencing. But there are also challenges in just getting folks to understand opioid abuse disorders, a medical challenge on its own. That is, is really the work that we have to do to help everybody understand what the science says is effective in treating this disorder. And, you know, uh, medication-assisted treatment and the therapies to address opioid use disorder have been tried and true, have been evidenced to success for decades. You know, and, and I think we have a lot of work to do in our medical community, our healthcare providers, and in the general public to help everybody understand what we know works, that there is a treatment for this disorder. If you or someone you know needs help with drug addiction, the Charleston Center can provide services regardless of your ability to pay. You can call 843-722-0100, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Seawalls and engineered solutions alone likely won't be enough to stop sea level rise and storm surge without additional human changes, a new United Nations report contends. The report updates the latest scientific estimates of the impacts of global climate change, and a handful of sections in the report discuss human-devised solutions that prevent or stall the impacts of climate change. Now, I haven't read the whole report. It's a quick 3,000-page read. But a handful of sections do discuss seawalls, one solution the city of Charleston has been discussing with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The wall, which you've probably seen reports about, is just part of the city's overall plan to deal with sea level rise. There are a lot of moving pieces to complement the wall, but it's the biggest blockbuster feature of the plan. The UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which put the report together, IPCC, you'll hear it talked about as, uh, talks at length about transformational adaptation when it comes to climate change. Here's a quick line from the report. Quote, Some adaptation is incremental, which only modifies existing systems. Other actions are transformational, leading to changes in the fundamental characteristics of a system. Unquote. And then it continues, quote, There exists no bright line between incremental and transformational adaptation. Some incremental actions may stay incremental. Others may expand the future space of solutions. Unquote. The report uses the example of including climate risk in mortgages and insurance, which may seem incremental, but could lead to transformational change, presumably from land use and development patterns. I know it's wonky, but it's a decent way, I think, to think about how small, relatively, steps like a seawall versus big steps like societal shifts that change the way we build or think about development, especially in cities like Charleston. Charleston Boxing Club closed its doors on King Street two years ago. The building, an old fire station, housed the gym run by Al Hollywood Meggett since the early 1980s, but it was in need of repairs. 
Now, after the renovation, it's about ready to open again. Fernando Soto from The People's Beat stopped by on Monday for an early reopening on what would have been Hollywood's 91st birthday. Hollywood died in October last year, but generations of parents and former students credit the gym with helping teach discipline, determination, and life skills. Hollywood's family members, with help from the city and former gym coaches, intend to carry on the founding coach's legacy. You've probably driven by this place a million times uh, and maybe not even noticed it. It's at 1099 King Street. It's right next to the Harbinger Cafe. There's a little park kind of that surrounds the old fire station. You can find a link to a fundraiser for the gym and that People's Beat article and a few others at nowcharleston.com. The People's Beat just launched, by the way, with Fernando Soto, Mika Gadsden, and Brandon Silvers, designed to be journalism that centers the experiences of black, indigenous, and people of color in Charleston. You can check it out at thepeoplesbeat.com. All right, it's the first Wednesday in March, so you know that means it's the launch of Charleston Wine and Food Festival today. A lot of events are sold out, like always, but lots of tickets are actually still available. There are two concerts on Friday and Saturday night that feature Lake Street Dive and St. Paul and the Broken Bones with Tank and the Bangas. There's also a ton of local acts performing throughout the festival. There are still tickets for Pinot Envy on Thursday in Mount Pleasant and that pizza and natural wine event downtown on Friday. And if you're still going on Sunday, the finale still has tickets too. Also, there are two free offerings. The pavilion outside the Culinary Village in Riverfront Park will feature food trucks just outside the gates to the Culinary Village, which is ticketed. And then Thursday night in Hampton Park, the festival is hosting a free showing of The 100-Foot Journey. It's family-friendly, bring a blanket and some chairs, and enjoy a movie in the park. Food trucks will be there selling, too, if you need a bite. Pro tip for wine and food, folks. Hydration and pacing. Plenty of water. That's all I've got for you today. If you've got feedback, you can leave me a voice message at 843-474-1319 or email sam at nowchs.com. And hey, I'm still looking for those questions for the Q&A show, so send them to sam at nowchs.com. If you can rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now, that would be a big help too. And as always, like I said, you can check nowchs.com for links and notes to today's show. And to make sure you don't miss anything, follow twitter.com slash nowcharleston and instagram.com slash nowcharleston. Thanks for listening. I'll be back Friday with the next Now Charleston. Now Charleston.